65 years ago, September 11th, 1955. Some of us are going, man, I wasn't even around back then. But at least one of us here, Brother Cecil Holloman, knows exactly what I'm talking about because he was there right then. And that is when our church was constituted. So just two days ago was the 65th anniversary of South U Baptist Church. And what a joy it is to consider all the Christ followers who have made up our church family over these six and a half decades. Some of you that are still here, some that have gone to glory, some that have moved away. But we're thankful for the legacy of all those who have loved one another, served and called as, uh, served as they were called and gifted in this place, and gave to support God's work in this place, to extend His mission around the world, and to build the buildings that we're in even now, and the property that we inhabit, and all those sort of things. Thankful for all the ministry volunteers and leaders who have served over the years on committees and teaching Sunday school and Awana and Bible studies and VBS and this day of resurrection and everything else we've done. And of course, thankful for our current volunteers and staff members. When I think of our staff members, we're just so privileged to be served by a wonderful bunch of believers. Many of you may not know Don Witt is our Secretary Treasurer, unless you come to the church family meeting like today, and Don takes care of us, and we have no doubt of that. We're thankful for her, for Karen Dejabay, and for Samantha Nelson uh, in our office, for Sarah keeping our facilities looking nice and taking care of us, and of course for Myra and David serving us, and on hell uh, planting our Hispanic church. We are so blessed as a church, aren't we? So let's give a hand to the Lord for 65 years for Southview. Let me pray. God, our Father, it's very humbling to think that the pulpit I stand in was inhabited by so many godly men before, that this church was filled with so many godly people that built it, that shaped it, that sustained it. When I think back to the history and the lessons I've heard that our church learned along the way and how it barely survived the closing of the air bases or base when it was still young, yet we're still here. And when I consider the things I know of from our church history and how you've proven yourself faithful time and time again, God, I'm thankful for my brothers and sisters that have gone before and my brothers and sisters that are here today. And we look forward to all that you will do in these years ahead. Because until you send Jesus back again, our mission is not done. That we would follow Jesus and we would lead others to follow Jesus. That we would be growing Christ followers and we would be in the business of growing Christ followers. So Father, we thank you for 65 years of Southview. It's not a building, it's not a place, it's people, it's a family. And we are the family of God known as Southview Baptist Church here in Lincoln, Nebraska. And we rejoice at your faithfulness and your love. And we seek to continue to give you glory. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you.
Well, you note a new graphic on the screen today, and you saw that in the last weeks. We begin a new sermon series this morning, For the Faith. For the Faith comes from the book, the epistle of Titus. And if you're not there already, would you turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 1, and we're just going to cover verses 1 through 4 today. We've got seven sermons out of Titus, three chapters in Titus, seven sermons that we'll cover over these next seven weeks in a row. And for the faith is taken from chapter 1, verse 1. Now, before we go on with our sermon, however, let's get our Scripture memory verse of the month. That Scripture memory verse of the month is taken from our sermon for two weeks from now. Let's read it all together. Titus 1.15 To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact... Both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. Titus 1.15 I won't preach that one now. We'll wait for two weeks from now, right? But if you've got your Bibles there, and if you're able to stand, would you stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word as we read our focal passage for this morning, Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And at his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There are two major sections in our four verses of Scripture today. Verses 1 and 2 talk about the characteristics of a Christ follower. That is, all of us are followers of Jesus, at least that is if you have trusted Him as your Savior. But most of us hearing my voice in this room and on the um, video now are followers of Jesus. The second major section of our sermon this morning is characteristics of Christian leaders, where Paul describes himself as a leader and he describes Titus as a Christian leader. Now that one you may say, but I'm not a Christian leader. I would ask, are you a Christian, a follower of Jesus? Yes. Is there anybody in any way that is following you? You're a parent. You're certainly a leader. You're an employee and you have anybody that listens to you. You're certainly a leader. Most of us are leaders, even though we may not admit it or feel like it. And so this entire sermon speaks to pretty much everyone in the room. So the three characteristics of Christ followers... From verse 1 and 2, they have faith, knowledge, and hope. Christ followers, according to Paul's introduction to Titus in this epistle, is that Christ followers have faith, knowledge, and hope. And think about how these three things are sequential, how one builds upon the other. Because you have trusted Christ Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord, you have faith. And because you have faith... God has given you the Holy Spirit to live within you. The Holy Spirit then, in turn, 
helps you with your illumination and understanding and guidance. The knowledge, not only of Scripture, but the knowledge of how to live your life and the wisdom as well. And then, because you have faith and because you have that knowledge, you should be filled with hope. Now, I know we go through downs and ups in our lives. We go through challenges. Sometimes we're more joyful. Sometimes we're more worried or anxious. That's natural. That's normal. But in all those times, can we pray and expect to have hope that is built on our faith, built on the knowledge of what God promises us, not based on the changing of circumstances? Let's come back to our scripture now and go phrase by phrase at least. Paul, a servant of God, servant, literally a slave, and an apostle that is a sent out one to go out from the church and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, it's me writing, and then he goes on to explain further. He says he's apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith. There's the title of our sermon series. Now, for the faith, the reason I chose that is, yes, it's in chapter 1, verse 1, so that makes it handy, but frankly, it's a summary statement of the entire book of Titus. There's some debate of this word for in uh, the Greek. It's kata, K-A-T-A. Pretty much all of us can say that, right? Kata. And it means for or according to, and it's debated as to its force and what it means and all that. But frankly, the Revised Standard Version of Scripture, who most of us would be like, no, not the RSV. That captures it the best. The RSV translates it this way, to further the faith of God's elect, that Paul is writing this book, Titus, to Titus, one man who is left in charge of churches in Crete, as we'll find out, in order to raise up elders, pastors to lead those churches. So he's writing to Titus, who he describes as a son in the ministry for the faith, but then Paul knows that those churches are going to read that. And I assume Paul knew by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that even today, 2,000 years later almost, we would be reading that. And to build up or to further the faith of God's elect. The elect are those who have trusted Jesus as their Savior and Lord or who will trust Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And then it says, and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. When Jesus has saved you, when you have the Holy Spirit within you, when you're growing in knowledge of the truth of who God is and what His Word says, it ought to lead to a different life for you. You ought to demonstrate your life, the characteristic of a Christ follower, in that you are different. You have the hope of eternal life, it says there in verse 2. Now, if you look at your English translation here, you see a whole lot of commas. You see at least one M dash in my NIV. I see, is that another comma? And I don't see one period in my NIV to the end of verse 4. You know why? In the Greek, this is one big honking long sentence. That's Texan, right? Honking. <clears throat> it's that long. Paul kept writing and adding phrases and adding phrases and adding phrases. Who's an English major here? You want to diagram that one for us? Good luck, okay? 
Paul keeps adding these descriptive phrases on in this one super long sentence that makes up four verses in our entire sermon today. And he says there in verse 2 about the faith, describing the faith he's just mentioned, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life. Which God, who does not lie, he described the people in Crete, we'll get to that in a few verses in a few weeks, as liars, that they were not known as a people of good character. And so he's juxtaposing that and says that God doesn't lie and that God promised before the beginning of time. So we've got three application questions. That first application question for you to answer for yourself is how strong is my Christian faith? Personally, just between you and it's as you don't necessarily have to talk to your neighbor next door or anything like that. But would you say on one end, it's absolutely essential to my life and I cannot live without Jesus. On the other end, you're like, eh, it doesn't make a difference to me. I don't really pay attention. And somewhere in the middle, you're meh. I don't know. It depends on the day. Your Christian life should make a difference to you. Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2, puts it in a poetic fashion. When the psalmist says, I lift my eyes towards the mountains. He says, where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The psalmist is describing a personal relationship with God that makes a difference for him. That gives him hope as he lifts his eyes to the heavens. And helps him with every need here on earth. How strong is your Christian faith? Can you say that like the psalmist, that you have your hope in God? God calls you to salvation, to change you. God calls you to salvation to make you like Jesus. God calls you to salvation to give you hope. If you haven't trusted Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord, you can do that today. Whether you're here you come down at the invitation time or you're online, you can email me, Aaron at southviewbaptist.org. Let's talk about how God loves you and how He wants to save you if you'll only come before Him and ask. So in addition to our faith is knowledge, which leads to your second application question. That is, how reasonable is my biblical knowledge? Now, I use the modifying word there, biblical, because I didn't want to talk about, you know, our knowledge of your job. I noticed Thomas Nettleton standing up here singing today, and Thomas, I noticed, had a red pen in his pocket. You know, he's an educator, which makes me wonder, has he got his red pen over there marking about my sermon right now? He is going to now. Bailey says yes. I'll look forward to those, uh, you know, observations, Thomas. You know, what's your job? You might run a business. You might supervise others. You might be a stay-at-home mom. All of you have a job, and you have knowledge of how to do that job. But what I'm talking about here, and what Paul's talking about, is your biblical knowledge. That you've spent time enough in God's Word, that the things you know of God's Word make a difference in your life. And is it reasonable? So many times Christians these days get, well and rightly so, accused of not being reasonable, that we have our faith as if it's not rational, and we don't think things through as far as issues and as far as how we relate to others. 
That should not be us at all. If anything, as believers of Jesus, we ought to be the most reasonable, the most well-spoken, the most well-studied, that the Bible has made a difference in our life and how we relate to others. Think about what it says in Psalm 89, 15. It says, Happy are the people who know the joyful shout, Yahweh, they walk in the light of your presence. When you walk in the light of God's presence, you recognize His voice, and you know His voice above all the other voices in this world, and it changes the way you live, and it should, among other things, make you more reasonable in the way that you live. We've got a third application question there from our third point, and that is, how sustaining is my eternal hope? Paul said there in the end of verse 2, which God who is not lie promised before the beginning of time. He's talking about salvation. He's saying that God has promised us salvation. And it should make a difference in the way we live. It should strengthen my faith. It should make me more reasonable in my biblical knowledge and how I relate to others. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. A simple question. Is that your hope? Do you have hope? Has God made such a difference in your life? God loves you. He loves you so much He sent His one and only Son, Jesus, to die for you. And no matter what you have done, He will forgive you and save you and change you and transform you. And we have an eternal hope in Him. Years ago, DC Talk had a song that had this line that I've never forgotten that said, pardon me, but your epidermis is showing. Okay, yeah, your skin. In other words, we see the color of your skin. We realize when it's different. But the point of the song was that we're all made in God's image because His image is not a physical image, male or female, race or anything like that. His, His image is the spirit within us. And we all have equal honor and dignity. But my summary point for us to consider is, pardon me, but your Christianity is showing. When you live your life, when you do what you do, when you say what you say, when you show the nonverbal that you show, people notice. And if you've stood up at some point in the past and identified yourself as a Christian, they're going to be paying attention all the more. And they're, whether you like it or not, judging you for the content of your character based on your actions and based on your words. And I'm saying this not to make us clam up and not be a witness when we're at work or when with our our family, but for us to be mindful of the fact that when we say we belong to Jesus, people realize that and they're paying attention to how we act and what we say. Which leads to that next point. What I say and do show what I really believe about Jesus. It's one thing as we talked about our values and our next steps in the past two weeks to say that I value this or this is the next step I should take. It's another thing to actually live that and it's another thing to actually do that. And our lives should demonstrate that difference that Jesus makes in us that we have faith and that we have knowledge and that we have hope and we are changed because 
of those things. So there were three characteristics of Christ followers to begin with. And now let's look at the second half of our sermon. Three characteristics of Christian leaders. Those three characteristics of Christian leaders come from verses 3 and 4. As Paul describes himself and then he identifies and describes Timothy. And so again, here are these three points. He said that they are entrusted, commanded, and related. Entrusted, commanded, and related. And I just said Timothy. I meant Titus, didn't I? First and Second Timothy are the first pastoral epistles. Timothy, another son in the ministry to Titus. Titus, we'll talk about a little bit more going forward. It's interesting that Titus has not mentioned the book of Acts that describes kind of the beginning of a church as a whole. But Titus is mentioned multiple times in Second Corinthians and in Galatians. And Titus, by those mentions, we see was a trusted lieutenant or a trusted protege of Paul. And it seemed like Paul sent Timothy or Titus to do things that were tough. Not that Timothy didn't have a tough job uh, in Ephesus, but going to Corinth to settle some issues and to deliver a message. Then going to Crete to settle some issues and to stay on there and help shape not just a church, but the churches on the island of Crete. And Paul refers to him as a true son lending many commentators to think that Titus is one of Paul's own converts. He's of a Gentile background. One of the arguments that you find in Galatians is that some of the Judaizers said that Titus dude needs to be circumcised. Paul absolutely refused and said, no, you don't need to be circumcised. You just need to have the circumcision of heart. You need to trust Jesus. And Paul, Titus has already done that. And so these characteristics of Christian leaders are that they are entrusted, commanded, and related. Look at verse 3. And at this, and in his appointed season, so God's appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me, Paul describing himself, by the command of God our Savior. God trusted Paul to be a preacher, a teacher of the gospel, as Jesus had saved him by God's will. And then it says in verse 4, To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Common type greeting that Paul would use, the grace and peace. We have our three questions, however, for us to consider. The first is, how committed am I to guarding the trust? So you might be going, hey, wait a second, what do you mean by guarding the trust? Remember, Paul used this phrase in... um, Second Timothy as well. We studied that last year together. It says, At this appointed time, he brought you to his word through the preaching and trusted. Paul's saying that trust he's talking about guarding is the gospel. Paul's saying to Titus, God saved me. He filled me with his Holy Spirit. He filled me with knowledge. He changed me. And I've shared that message with you. I've been entrusted with that message. It's the gospel that changes people's lives. I'm entrusting you with that message, the gospel that changes people's lives, that does and should make them different. Now, you might say, preaching, I don't do that. That's your job, Pastor Aaron. What did I say? Pardon me, your Christianity is showing. You do preach. Whether you call yourself a preacher or not, whether you've ever written a sermon or not, your life is a sermon. People see you. People hear you. People know you're a believer in Jesus, and your life demonstrates that. So the question is, how are you guarding the trust? 
Colossians 1.28, also written by Paul, says, We proclaim Him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Do you live your life in such a way that you're demonstrating, that you're asking, that you're calling people to trust Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord as well, and to live different because of Him? Your second question there about for Christian leaders is how obedient am I to follow Jesus? Again, you'll remember I said these apply to all of us, even if you wouldn't say you're a Christian leader. You are. And these questions apply to us. How obedient am I to follow Jesus? And he, Paul had said that he was following the command of God our Savior to guard the trust, to preach the gospel, which begs the question for us, are we obedient? in the way we live and what we do and what we know. My question generally is, do I have any known sin? Something that I know the Bible says is wrong, but I continue to do because of whatever reasons I make up to justify my sinfulness. What God's called me to obey. I think of the example of Noah in Genesis In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9 and 22, it says that Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God and Noah did this. He did everything that God had commanded him. Oh, that it would be said of me. Oh, that it would be said of you that he did everything God commanded him. She did everything God commanded him. So that someday... Whenever it is you pass, if you pass before me, and if I'm asked to officiate your funeral, and I stand right here, and I talk about you, I might say of you, you did everything that God commanded you to do. It's easy to say. It's hard to do. But God gives us His Holy Spirit. God gives us His love. God gives us biblical knowledge. God gives us hope. He inhabits us and calls us to obey Him. And living an obedient life following Jesus. Your third and final question asks, how devoted, how devoted am I to growing relationships? Now, where do I get that? Verse 4, to Titus, my true son. Paul and Titus had a relationship. In our common faith, it was a relationship based on Jesus that Paul most likely had shared Jesus personally with Titus. Titus had trusted Jesus as his personal Savior and Lord, and there was a bond there that was special between them. And he says, grace and peace from God the Father. There was a common Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior, a common Savior. They had a relationship. Now, what about you? How devoted are you to growing relationships with others, with your spouse, with your kids, with friends, with coworkers, with neighbors, with random people you know that need Jesus as their Savior? Think about Jesus with the woman in the well in John 4, 42. Jesus told her about herself. Jesus told her about the living water in him. She went back to her village and she brought the villagers. They came and sat and listened to Jesus. And I love what they said there. Then they said to the woman, John 4:42, Now we believe not just because of what you have told us, because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he indeed is the Savior of our world. The woman at the well shared a witness with her neighbors. 
who knew all her stories and everything bad about her and could have looked down their nose at her and probably did, shook their finger at her and gossiped at her as she walked by, gave her a reason to go to the well in the middle of the day when the other ladies didn't go to the well. But she shared the hope of Jesus with them. They came back because they went, wow, something's different about her already, to hear Jesus themselves. And when they heard Jesus themselves, they said, it's not just because you hope, but now we have this hope. Because of Jesus' message in our life, we know that He indeed is the Savior of the world. Who am I growing a relationship with that can bear the weight of that gospel message that they too might trust Jesus as their personal Savior and they might join us following Jesus as we walk to heaven together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're humbled by your word to think that Paul wrote these words to Titus, his son in the faith, almost 2,000 years ago, but these words still are true for us today. They remind us how we should live as Christ followers how we should live as leaders in the faith that our Christianity is always showing and that we're always a witness either for or against you. So God, we pray that whatever we need to confess today, we would confess and turn repenting from that sinfulness in our life. We pray for the person here or hearing my voice online that needs to trust Jesus as their Savior, that they would do that today. We pray that you would continue to fill this place by your Spirit with faith and hope and love for all the decades ahead. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.